Thank you, Brother Brian, for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. And thank you to all of you who are here this morning on this first day of the week and this first day of the new year to worship God. So happy to see all of you here this morning. It's been a wonderful day of worship, and I'm looking forward to this part of our worship right here where we will study from the Word of God. We had our first study this morning from the Old Testament, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament in this second lesson. But we're not going to 1 Samuel. This time we're going to go to the first book of the Bible. Will you please go in your Bible to the book of Genesis? I'm going to invite you to Genesis chapter 35. Please go in your Bible with me this morning to Genesis chapter 35. The majority of our study will be coming from that particular chapter. In the Bible, there are, there are many characters that take me on a roller coaster ride. They take me on an emotional roller coaster ride. They confuse me. They perplex me. They make me wonder at times, how does God want me to feel about this person? Take, for example, Samson. Samson, I mean, at times in the book of Judges, Samson is doing some really bad stuff. He's being sexually immoral. And he is breaking his Nazarite vow and he's mingling with people, particularly with women, that he's not supposed to be mingling with. But other times the Bible says the spirit, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he's defeating God's enemies and he's praying and he's repenting and he is being used by God to deliver his people. Samson takes me on an emotional roller coaster ride. And then think about Lot. Think about Lot in the book of Genesis. I mean, at times in Genesis, Lot is showing signs of greed and materialism, and he hesitates in obeying God. And there was even an occasion when he offered his daughters to be sexually assaulted by the men of Sodom. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, that Lot was righteous. He calls him righteous Lot. He says that as Lot lived in the wicked city of Sodom, his righteous soul was vexed day and night. Lot takes me on an emotional roller coaster ride throughout the book of Genesis. In fact, speaking of Genesis, think about Jacob. Think about this guy right here. In Genesis chapter 35, I'm going to tell you that out of all, out of all of the well-known Bible characters, Jacob probably is the one who confuses me the most. Jacob is probably the one that perplexes me the most. He is probably the one who forces me to ask the question the most, how should I feel about this guy? How should I feel about Jacob? I mean, there are parts of his story in the book of Genesis that really make me not like him. There are times when I really don't like Jacob. I mean, he's a liar. And he's a deceiver and he's a trickster and a thief and a horrible husband and a horrible father. He actually picked favorites between his kids. And that caused all, kind of, all kinds of hatred and strife and division among his children. He is someone who did a lot of bad things throughout the book of Genesis, but other times he does some good things. 
Other times he does some noble things. Other times this guy Jacob does some things like we can read about here in Genesis chapter 35. You see here in Genesis chapter 35, we don't read about Jacob living up to his name. We don't read about him being a trickster and a liar and a deceiver. We don't read about him being somebody who's trying to get what he wants by any means necessary. Instead, in this chapter, we find him doing something good. We find him trying to, trying to honor God and keep a promise he made to God. We find him trying to put his family on the right spiritual path. Now, we're going to read these first four verses in Genesis 35 in just a moment. But before we do that, I think it's important that we just take a few moments to rehearse Jacob's story. If you don't mind, will you just give me a moment or two to remind us all of who Jacob is and why he is doing what we're going to read about in these, in these verses this morning. Remember, Jacob was the grandson of the great man of faith and the patriarch Abraham, and he was the youngest son of Isaac and Rebekah. He also is the younger brother of Esau, and as we said earlier, he was a trickster. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was a selfish and dishonest person. He was someone who had schemed his way into taking both the birthright and firstborn blessing from his brother, and this would actually lead his older brother Esau to hating him so much that he would have to leave home. Jacob would have to flee from his home and Canaan, and he would also have to flee from the wrath of Esau and travel east to a place called Haran. He would go to Haran, and Haran, Jacob would find a wife among his people, and he would also be able to work and live with the brother of his mother, a man named Laban. Jacob travels from Canaan to Haran, and along the way, in a place called Bethel, as we read this morning, he had a dream. He had a dream. He had a dream given to him from God, and in this dream, God gives him a vision. God allows him to see something amazing and magnificent. God allows Jacob to see a ladder that reaches up into heaven, and on this ladder there are angels. There are angels ascending and descending. God also appears to Jacob. He talks to Jacob. He assures him that he is with him, and he's going to take care of him and provide for him. He also repeats to Jacob the same promises that he had made to Abraham. He assures him that his descendants are going to be numerous. And they're going to receive the land of Canaan, and through them all families of the earth would be blessed. God repeats to Jacob the same promises that he had made to Abraham and Isaac. And when Jacob awoke from that dream, he's amazed. He is, he is stunned. He is humbled and marveled and extremely thankful. In fact, he is so thankful that he set up a memorial unto God. And he renamed that place 
to Bethel or house of God. And he promised that one day he was going to come back there and worship God. Jacob had experienced the amazing presence of God at Bethel. And here in Genesis 35, after spending 20 years, after spending 20 years working for his uncle Laban, and after accumulating great wealth for himself and after marrying two of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel, and after having 12 different children by four different women, and even after finally making peace with Esau and reconciling with him and living through a moment where he actually wrestled with God and survived after going through all that stuff over 20 years. The Bible says in Genesis 35 and verse 1, 20 years later, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which were among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which is near Shechem. I want you to ponder on those verses for just a couple of seconds. I submit that these verses here are powerful and convicting and timely. They are timely passages for us because you know what they are about? They are about renewal. They are about spiritual renewal and spiritual commitment and spiritual rejuvenation. They are about something that we may all need to do as we begin a new year, I want you to notice how in verse number one, notice how in verse number one, the Bible says that God talks to Jacob. God talks to Jacob. God reminds Jacob of the promise he made to him 20 years ago. He says to Jacob, you need to get up and you need to go back to Bethel and you need to keep your promise. You need to keep the promise you made me. You need to keep the vow you made me. You said, Jacob, that if I watched over you and if I provided for you and if I took care of your family, you would one day go back to Bethel and you would worship me. You said you would honor me at Bethel. You said that you would build me an altar and worship me as the one true and living God. Notice here. Notice here how God takes promises Seriously. God takes promises seriously. When we promise God something, he holds us to it. He remembers it. He wants us to do what we say we're going to do. He remembers the promises we make him before we get baptized. He remembers the promises we make on the day we get married. He remembers the promises we make to him in prayer and when we're going through rough times in our lives. God remembers every promise we make him. He remembered Jacob's promise. And here he is saying to Jacob, get up and do what you said you're going to do. You made me a promise. 
And it's time for you to get up and go fulfill that promise. And to Jacob's credit, he's going to do it. He's going to get up and he's going to make his way to Bethel. But before going to Bethel, before that journey begins, he's got to do something. He's got to eliminate and rid something from his family before making the journey to Bethel to worship God and build an altar and honor God. Jacob first has got to get rid of some idols. He's got to put away some idols. He's got to put away some false gods from his family. Evidently, Jacob has some idols in his family. And I guess the question is, where did those idols come from? How did they get there? How in the world did some idols get into the household of one of the patriarchs of God? It could be that while living in the land of Canaan, because that's where Jacob lived for a long time, while living there, that culture started to impact Jacob and his family in a very negative way. Maybe they started to become a little Canaanitish. Maybe the heathens they lived among start to influence them to worship false gods and go after false gods. Maybe those idols came from Shechem after two of Jacob's sons had killed a bunch of people in Shechem and took spoils of war in the previous chapter. I believe probably the best answer here is found back in Genesis 31. In Genesis chapter 31 and in verse number 19, in Genesis 31 and verse 19, now this is when Jacob, this is when Jacob is leaving, leaving the home of Laban, the man that he had worked for, his uncle, a man who had tricked him. He reaped what he sowed. He met somebody who was a bigger deceiver than he was. And Laban had tricked him for a very long time. And Jacob is now leaving and he's taking his family with him. And in Genesis 31, in verse number 19, in verse number 19, it says, When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole, she stole what? She stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban. Here he is living up to his name again. He deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had. And he rose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Notice how the most likely source, the most likely source for these idols that had found their way into Jacob's house was the love of his life. It was Rachel. It was this woman that he had worked 14 years to marry. Several chapters earlier, you see, when leaving the house of Laban, the Bible says that Laban has some idols in his house. And one of his daughters, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, she stole those idols. She stole the idols that were in the house of her father. And Jacob doesn't seem to become aware of this until much later. We're not told exactly when Jacob becomes aware of this, but we do know that before going to Bethel to worship God and honor God there, he says to his family, these idols got to go. We got to get rid of these idols. We got to put them away. We can't go to Bethel to worship and, and honor God with idols among us. Jacob is determined to rid his family of idols on this occasion. 
And I believe there are at least three lessons we can learn from this. One lesson I think we can learn from this is as the people of God, we need to beware of idols. We need to beware of idols. We need to beware of, of idols in our lives, in our hearts, and even in our family. Do you remember what the Apostle John said as he closed the book of 1 John? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 21. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, as the Apostle John closes his great epistle, he says, little children. He's talking to disciples, to the people of God here, the children of God. And he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Notice the final admonition given by the Apostle John here is an admonition to us to watch out for idols. Guard against idols. Watch out for the idols that the devil can bring before you in your life. In the case of Jacob, he had idols in his family. He had idols in his household. His favorite wife clearly stole some idols from her father, and Jacob knew about those idols. And before getting to Bethel to worship God, he had to get rid of them. He had to put those idols away. He had to get rid of those idols that had found a way into his household. And let me tell you something, my friends. We might need to do the same thing today. We might need to do the same thing as we begin 2023. Like Jacob, we also might need to take some spiritual inventory of our lives and of our hearts and of our families and acknowledge if we have some idols. We might need to do that because idols, idols. They don't just come in the form of little statues. They don't just come in the form of things made of silver and gold and temples made by the hands of men. They're not just problems and temptations that people in Bible times had to deal with. Instead, we also have to deal with them today. We also have to watch out for and guard against them today. When you go in your Bible with me, keep your place at Genesis 35. We'll come back there. But will you go with me to the book of Ezekiel? In Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, please. I'm going to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14. And here in Ezekiel 14, we see what the problem was with the people of Israel when they went into Babylonian captivity. In Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, and in verse number 3, as God speaks to the prophet, in Ezekiel 14, in verse 3, he says, son of, man, son of man, these men has set up idols in their hearts. Do you see that? They set up idols in their hearts, and they put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Notice how the book of Ezekiel here talks about idols. It talks about idols. It talks about idols not made of wood and, and stone and gold and silver. Instead, it talks about idols of the heart. It talks about idols in the heart. It talks about idols that take root inside a person's heart. The New Testament equivalent passage to this is found in the book of Colossians. Will you go to Colossians chapter 3, please? In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul speaks to people who have put on Christ through baptism. And he says this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, Therefore, consider the members 
of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to what? Which amounts to idolatry. Notice how when it comes to idolatry and idols, Paul says that's a problem that goes far beyond just bowing down a little statues. It goes far beyond worshiping statutes and praying to statutes. No, Paul says that idolatry is a sin of the heart. It's a sin that takes place inside a person's heart. It is when we and our hearts put things, things of the world over God. That's idolatry. When we put things before God it is when we put loving money before God. It is when we love the pursuit of education or our excelling in our careers more and above God. It is when we rather keep looking at ungodly images on our cell phone or on our laptop or our iPad instead of obeying God. It's when we're more committed to things like politics and sports and our hobbies than we are God. That's idolatry. And that's something we got to be aware of. Like Jacob, we got to be aware of the idols. And then secondly, like Jacob, we got to be honest about the idols. Got to be honest about the idols. Got to recognize the idols. Got to honestly call them out of there in our lives. Go back to Genesis chapter 35 again. When you look at verse number two, we're going back, we're going back to Genesis 35. And we're looking at verse number two. And in verse number two, the scripture says... So Jacob, this is after God appeared to Jacob and told him, keep your promise you made to me. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods, which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Notice how here Jacob has to acknowledge a very hard truth. He has to acknowledge that, yes, I got idols in my family. Notice how he doesn't sugarcoat this. He doesn't water this down. He doesn't label this as something else. He doesn't seek to make excuses and justify these idols. Instead, Jacob acknowledges them. He's honest about the situation. He says we have idols. We have things in our lives right now that are hindering our relationship with God and will hinder our worship to God when we get to Bethel. Jacob is honest about that. And we might need to do the same thing today. We might need to do the same thing in our hearts today. For those of us who are husbands and for those of us who are fathers, we might need to do the same thing in our families today. As fathers, we might need to take some spiritual inventory of our homes today and see what idols are present. See what false gods are present. We might need to acknowledge some false gods and some idols today. We might need to acknowledge today that sports has become an idol in our family. Basketball, soccer, baseball, football. These things have become idols in our family. Making the best grades. Trying to get straight A's every single time. Being more devoted to math and English 
and science and history than we were reading the book of Luke and Acts and praying together as a family, we've made academics an idol in our house. We might need to acknowledge that. We might need to acknowledge that we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now. Or maybe a group of ungodly and wicked friends and they are influencing us to the point that we've made those people idols. They're idols. We might need to acknowledge that our streaming services have become idols. We got some immodest clothing that we don't want to give up. That's become idols. We got a social media page that we've made an idol. We got a social media page that's become a tool that we are using to manifest ungodly things in our hearts. We got a social media page that we are using to, to manifest arrogance and pride and selfishness as inside of our hearts we have a social media page that we're using to stroke our egos and to intentionally pursue jealousy and envy and desire for other people to look at us and go oh look at how they live their lives i wish i had their life that's when your social media pages become an idol when you have those intentions you have that kind of heart you see as we begin 2023 we might need, might need to acknowledge and call out some idols. We might need to stop living in denial about our idols and stop trying to justify our idols and making excuses for our idols and just do like Jacob and be honest about the situation. We, need to, we might need to acknowledge and be honest about the fact that we have some idols, and after we do that, the next thing we need to do is we need to take the drastic steps to remove them. We need to get them out of our lives. Go back to Genesis 35 one more time. Verse 2 again. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has gone with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. Notice how after Jacob acknowledged the problem of idols in his household, he then leads them to putting those idols away. He leads them to getting rid, rid of the the idols, he tells them to purify themselves and change their garments and give him all of the idols so that he can go and bury them. He says he was going to go and bury them under an oak tree in Shechem. And for those who might want to play stomp the preacher after the lesson and ask me, well, why did he hide them under the oak tree in Shechem? Here's the answer. You want the answer? I don't know. I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. We don't know why Jacob buried them under an oak tree in Shechem. All we know is Jacob does what's right. He does the right thing. He purges this evil from his house. He puts away all of these idols. He buries them. And like Jacob, we might need to bury some idols. Like Jacob, before coming here, to worship God. Before coming here.
to listen to sermons and take the Lord's Supper and give and sing praises to God, we might need to do what these people did. We might need to purify ourselves and get our hearts right with God and bury some idols. You know, Jesus talked about that, remember, in Matthew chapter 5. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse number 27, in Matthew 5 and verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Notice how Jesus says here that being a disciple following him often involves amputation. Amputation. Jesus says that there are times when we got to cut off some things. We got to pluck our eyes out, cut our hands off. When Jesus says those things, he's not talking about literal physical mutilation. He's not saying that we literally got to pluck our eyes out or literally cut our hands off. That's not going to solve the problem. If you pluck your right eye out, you can still lust with your left eye. If you pluck your left eye out too, well, you can still lust in your heart. Here Jesus is talking about cutting sin out of your life. Doing whatever you have to do to get rid of stumbling blocks and things that the devil can use to trip you up in your life. Doing what is necessary to rid your life of sin. That's what the Lord is saying here. He is saying that hell is so serious, it's so real, it's so horrible that whatever you got to do to get sin out of your life, do it. Make the sacrifices. Cut that stuff out of your life. That certainly includes the idols. That certainly includes my computer or my iPad or my internet service on my cell phone. If that is constantly tripping me up, and I'm sinning with that. That certainly includes those ungodly friends. Or that grudge I'm holding against somebody right now in the church. That certainly includes chasing money. And neglecting my family. Neglecting spending time with my family. And being the best spiritual leader that I can be for them. That certainly includes going into my closet. And removing any immodest clothing that may be in there or turning off those streaming channels or shutting down my social media page because I know that pride is a pitfall for me and that's going to hinder my relationship with God. I have a friend. I have a friend who several years ago, several decades ago, he became a Christian. He became a Christian. And before becoming a Christian, he had an idol in his life. He had the idol of alcohol. Alcohol was an idol for him. And so, after he was baptized, after he confessed Jesus and he promised Jesus, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to live for you. And he had his sins washed away by the blood of Christ through immersion in water. He left the church building. And he went back to his house and he buried that idol. He cut that idol out of his life. 
he took all of the alcohol that was in his house and he poured it down the drain and he has never touched it again in over 40 years. In fact, he's an elder in the church. He loves the Lord. And he raised his children to love the Lord. He buried that idol. And he kept it buried. And maybe you need to do like him. Maybe you need to do like Jacob. Jacob wasn't going to go to Bethel until he put away those idols. He wasn't going to go worship God until he put away those idols. And once he did that, God blessed him. God took care of him. He made it to Bethel, and he was able to keep his promise to God. He got rid of the idols. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, maybe a Christian here. Maybe there's a Christian here, a disciple, a member of the church. And you know you haven't been, you haven't been doing what Jacob and his family did. You, you haven't buried the idols. You're still involved in idolatry. You're still putting things in your life above God. Maybe you need to repent of that and bury those idols for good. Cut them out of your life and rededicate yourself to God. Or maybe there's somebody here and you're, you're not a Christian at all. You're not a follower of, of Jesus the Christ. You're not part of his church. You're not part of the family of God. I'm pretty sure in a crowd like this, there's somebody out there who falls into that category. And if there is, I want you to know something. You don't have to leave here in that condition. You can become a Christian today. You can become a child of God today, but doing so involves bearing idols. It involves killing that old sinful person that you are right now. It involves putting that sinful person that you currently are to death, allowing that person to be killed in the waters of baptism and being raised a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so if there's anyone here this morning who needs to come to the Lord for the first time or rededicate themselves to him, we're going to sing this song, Jesus Calls Us, and we're going to invite you to come right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.